Welcome. Please accept John and Jim's invitation to join them as they once again ask each other, what do you think about? Hey, Jim, what do you think about disclosure? I think it's been a long time coming. Yeah, not that kind of disclosure. The kind I'm referring to refers specifically to the disclosure by a major world government that they've been actively covering up and discrediting events and information related to UFOs. Ah, uh, dude, don't you mean UAPs? After all, we are in the modern phase of extraterrestrial visitation investigation, remembering our past, looking to our future, but investigating in the now. Catchphrase, copyrighted by Jim Dermuth, August 2020. Yes, yes I do mean UAPs. But it would be an acknowledgement that they've been misleading people for decades about all these things, and that they've had this sensitive information all along. Hell yeah, they have, brother. Don't forget that I spent five years in the U.S. Army, and my last stint was with the Intelligence and Security Command at Fort Belvoir. I'm just the kind of guy that has the inside scoop on this kind of knowledge. Cool. Did you witness or learn anything while there? Well, no. I said I'm the kind of guy with the scoop. I didn't say I was the guy. I was just working as a computer operator and only had a top secret clearance. This kind of shit would have been way above my pay grade. That having been said, we know there have been numerous UFO whitewashings. Oh, most definitely. Here's a short list of some of them. Barry Goldwater, well, he was a one-time Arizona senator and ran for president in 1964, publicly stated that he once tried to gain access to Hangar 18, the warehouse where supposed UAP wreckage and extraterrestrial corpses are stored, but he was denied access. General Arthur Exxon, one of the former commanding offices of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, stated that the Roswell incident was indeed the crash of a UFO, that alien bodies were recovered, Unfortunately, though, all his knowledge was secondhand at best, right? He never really actually saw anything. Vice Admiral Roscoe H. Hillencoder, who was the first CIA director, 1947 to 1950, he publicly called for a congressional investigation of UFOs, saying, quote, the unknown objects are operating under intelligent control. It is imperative that we learn where the UFOs come from and what their purpose is. This, however, doesn't mean that he thought they were of extraterrestrial origin. He was really worried about Russians, I think. Gordon Cooper, one of our astronauts, claimed to have seen UFOs in 1951 and in 1957. Up until his death in 2004, he maintained the U.S. government was covering up hundreds of sighting reports made by pilots, both civilian and military. And Edgar Mitchell, another astronaut, declared in 2004 that a cabal of insiders in the U.S. government were studying recovered alien bodies and stopped briefing U.S. presidents after Kennedy. He said, we all know that UFOs are real. Now the question is, where do they come from? Time goes by and he later recants, saying in an interview for Ask Men published in March of 2014 that he had never seen a UFO, that no one ever threatened him over his claims, and that statements about the covering up of UFO being worldwide cabal was, quote, just speculation on my part. Ah, man. 
Even Jackie Gleason had stories about UFOs. He said his buddy Richard Nixon showed him dead aliens back in 1973. And for all you kids out there, Jackie Gleason was a beloved American actor who played Ralph Cramden in The Honeymooners back in the dark ages of the 1950s and Sheriff Buford T. Justice in the Smokey and the Bandit movies from the 1970s and early 80s. And Richard Nixon was a, well, Richard Nixon was a shit. Anyway, one night after a golf outing, old Tricky Dick shows up at Gleason's Florida home and says something like, come on, buddy, I got some crazy shit to show you. And Gleason, who loved ufology and the occult and the paranormal, says, okay. And they get in Nixon's ride and they went out to Homestead Air Force Base. And according to the website Skeptoid.com, these are Gleason's own words about this little adventure. There are a number of labs we passed through first before we entered a section where Nixon pointed out what he said was the wreckage from a flying saucer enclosed in several large cases. Next, we went to an inner chamber and there were six or eight of what looked like glass top Coke freezers. Inside them were the mangled remains of what I took to be children. But guess what, John? Those weren't the dead bodies of children. They were alien corpses. And then Skeptoid goes on to discredit the whole story, just as you would expect a skeptic to do, but it just won't go away. Well, that's, that's a pretty good story. But let's review a couple of past incidents that just may have brought about the notion that disclosure or the information about UFOs must be withheld from the masses. You got to go back in history a little bit. The first documented scare related to UFOs and or alien invasions was the 1938 broadcast of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds by an unrelated Orson Welles. The broadcast occurred the night before Halloween, something nice and scary for the folks at home to enjoy for the holiday. Remember, this was a time before the takeover of America by television. So most people spent their evenings listening to radio shows. It's a fine production. It's perhaps melodramatic at times, but I think they did a good job. You can listen to it on YouTube. But the way they presented the story was a little novel. It was broadcast like any other nightly radio show, but it contained periodic interruptions, first of news reports documenting strange activity on Mars, then by bulletins containing an object crashing in Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Then they go back to the music, Interruptions move on to live interviews of police and bystanders supposedly relayed from the scene of the crash. Martians exit the vehicle and start blasting everyone with heat rays until the broadcast is abruptly terminated as though the reporter was killed. Subsequent updates detail a spreading invasion of the United States by the unstoppable Martian forces. Another reporter gives, quote, live reports of the chaos going on in New York City where the Martians have overrun, attacking the citizens by using clouds of poison gas. Again, the broadcast is abruptly terminated, implying that this reporter had been killed, too. The rest of the broadcast is a standard radio drama. The Martians are in charge, life under them stinks, and mankind is doomed until the invaders catch cold and all die. Well, that's all aces, Pally, but it sounds like you're just bumping gums, see? I don't know if you're all hopped up on the giggle juice, but I hate to tell you that was a 
fictional radio broadcast based on an even greater piece of literary fiction. I thought we were going to talk about Disclosure, see? Not a radio melodrama from the 1930s. So far, this has been a trip for biscuits. Now, hang on, Jim. It's relevant. And the reason it's relevant is because of how people reacted to this broadcast. According to newspaper reports of the time, people panicked. Not everyone, of course, but some who missed the introduction to the broadcast, in which it was plainly announced that it was an adaptation of the War of the Worlds, mistook the broadcast for reporting of an actual event occurring in real time. A lesser-known event took place in Quito, Ecuador, in February of 1949. Did you say that was Ecuador this happened in? I did. It was Ecuador. Oh, okay. A couple of brainiacs named Leonardo Pérez and Eduardo Alcaraz decided to produce their own version of War of the Worlds and broadcast it on the local radio station as a simulated invasion. And guess what? What? A similar panic gripped the populace as listeners gathered their families, they fled their homes, and they hid in the local churches. The fire and police departments were dispatched to deal with the alien menace. Uh, once the broadcasters became aware of the chaos... They made it clear that it was just a radio show and not a real event. A day late and a dollar short, though, wouldn't you say? Yeah, because this angered this huge mob, and the radio station was attacked and burned down. At least seven people were killed, including Leonardo Paez's girlfriend and his nephew. Following these events, Mr. Paez bailed and moved to Venezuela. That's weird, because you'd think that the citizenry would have heard about the U.S. event. Of course, this was, what, uh, and, and, uh, 11 years later? And I have a hard time remembering what I had for breakfast just this morning. So, who knows? Yeah, well, it seems like the reactions of people to accounts of contacts with alien visitors, it isn't exactly rational. It was crisp for anyone who's wondering. But? My breakfast. It was crisp cereal. And he's an alien! Synchronicity! Yeah, well, as I was saying, people's reactions to this news of these alien contact hasn't been rational. And I think this is part of that fight, flight, or freeze response people have when they're scared. And it's kind of shaped the way the government deals with this information. You know, I wonder if the belief that society will crumble if the reality concerning extraterrestrials is ever released to John Q. Public. I wonder if it really does come from these events. Yeah, I think it does, really. The, the last thing any government wants, right, is to lose control of a situation. Panic in the streets, rioting. That's not really conducive to everybody going to work and paying their taxes. Right. Panic, riot, and looting are no way to run a railroad or a society. Yeah, I agree. You can see evidence of this desire to remain control of situations, events, information related to many events throughout history. Did you know that Japan attacked the United States during World War II? Well... There was the attack on Pearl Harbor. Yeah, everybody knows about that one, at least here in America. Um, but that's not the one I'm talking about. I'll discuss the event that I know about after you shill for Anchor.fm. Welcome back, Jim. Right back at you. The event I was alluding to just before the break was an attack by the Japanese that occurred on February 23rd of 1942 around Elwood, California. Now, it did little real damage, but that's not the point. The point is that, again, the public panicked. There was widespread fear of a Japanese invasion of the west coast of the United States. Oh, yeah. 
I think I know what you're getting at. But I'll shut up and let you continue the story. Yeah, so the very next day, February 24th, 1942, there was an event that's now referred to as the Battle of Los Angeles. Uh, basically, people in L.A. believed they were being attacked by Japanese air forces and spent the next few hours defending the city with anti-aircraft guns and aerial bombs. Five people died. I, I can't take it. I got to jump in. You know, some people claim that the Battle of Los Angeles was an attack by aliens. Well, maybe not an attack per se, because... They didn't drop any bombs or spray heat rays around like in War of the Worlds, but odd things were seen in the skies over L.A. There's a somewhat famous photograph from the L.A. Times that shows this disc-like object caught in the beams of several intersecting searchlights. I'm actually planning on going deeper into it in a future episode. Cool. I look forward to that one. But in any case... The reaction of the public to these kind of events led to Roosevelt ordering, quote, internment of American citizens of Japanese descent. There was no evidence of wrongdoing by any of these people. Oh, hey, did you know George Takai from Star Trek was in one of those internment camps? No, I didn't know that. Yes, he was. He and his family were gathered up along with the uh, others and, and shunted off to the, uh, to the camps. Yeah, that was a real wrong that was done to those families. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, this whole thing, I think, illustrates the point that government always needs to look like they're doing something, right? Right you are. Spin as many wheels as possible and flash as many lights as possible to keep the public dazzled. Yep. So when we look at UFO-related events that have happened throughout history, there have been numerous examples of what appear to be actions taken by the authorities to control or change the narrative around the events. The famous crash at Roswell, for one. Yeah, that's a very good example. Watch how those events play out over time, and you can see how the authorities change the narrative. What seems to have happened was, was on June 14, 1947, a ranch foreman named William Brazell found clusters of debris in the fields of the J.B. Foster Ranch, where he worked. He thought little of it at the time, but the next day he heard reports of flying disks and wondered if maybe that's what he found. So then on July 6 or 7, and reports vary, Brazell mentioned to the local sheriff that he had maybe found a flying disk. The local sheriff then calls the nearby Army Air Force Base at Roswell and reports the finding. Hmm. Uh, that's kind of odd, don't you think? I mean, this guy finds this wreckage that he thinks, hey, is maybe is a crashed flying saucer. But he waits over three weeks to report it to the authorities? Yeah, this is rural Arizona in 1947. He didn't have access to a telephone, so he had to wait till he got into town. But anyway, the Army, of course, swoops in and recovers all the evidence they can find. The next day, July 8th, 1947, the public information officer at the base, a guy named Walter Hout, issues a press release. The Army has recovered the wreckage of a flying disc. The press reports at the time eat it up. It makes all the newspapers. But the very next day, the Army has a bigger press conference and displays a bunch of tinfoil and balsa wood and says, no saucer, just a weather balloon. I, I've seen the newspaper clipping with the, the photo. Yeah, nothing to see here, folks. There's nothing odd about a field strewn with 
random tinfoil and balsa scraps. So return to your regularly scheduled lives. And man, I bet that guy was pissed at having to recan his press release, especially if he truly did handle the wreckage as he claimed and knew that the bigwigs were lying and making him look like a fool. Yeah, but for the sake of this argument, it doesn't really matter if what was recovered, right? But it illustrates clearly the desire of the authorities to change the narrative and control the flow of information around an event. He who controls the spice controls the universe. Yeah, they do. So this pattern of controlling and changing the narrative around UFOs has continued for years. Project Blue Book, as we discussed in our previous podcasts about UAPs, was essentially used as a tool to discredit and mislead people about events related to those UAPs. And we know how the investigation of those cases went down. Everything was a sun dog, a flock of geese, or the dreaded swamp gas. Yeah, I'm sure most of the reports really were a bunch of nothing. And they might very well have been swamp gas. But just because most things are not what they appear to be, does not mean all things are not what they appear to be. For instance, in Europe in the late 1940s, there were reports of ghost rockets over the skies of Scandinavian countries and also Greece. All of the governments involved came to the conclusion that the phenomenon were of extraterrestrial origin. A Greek physicist named Paul Santorini revealed in the late 1960s that the investigation into these, quote, ghost rockets was killed at the request of the U.S. military. The reason given by Mr. Santorini was the military feared panic by the general public because the military had no defenses against these ghost rockets. Yeah, these ghost rockets are very interesting. The official military explanation was that the Soviets were firing off captured V-1 and V-2 missiles from Germany's World War II bases. But behind closed doors, as you said, other thoughts were being bandied about. In a declassified document from 1948, U.S. military officials state that the Swedish Air Intelligence Service reached the conclusion that, quote, these phenomena are obviously the result of a high technical skill which cannot be credited to any presently known culture on the earth, end quote. And then if you read a little further, the document goes on to say that the Swedes were assuming that these objects originated from some previously unknown technology, possibly beyond Earth. Well, if you look around on the Internet, you can find varying degrees of openness around UFOs from various governments. For instance, our neighbors to the north, Canada, they're fairly open about their investigations. And I've read several books, articles, and blogs around UFOs, and the general consensus about it among the world's military seems to be, generally, they don't seem to be overly aggressive, and there's nothing we can do about it, so they don't pose a credible threat. In other words, maybe if we ignore them, they'll go away, or at the very least, leave us alone. Yeah, yeah. But remember, the government always wants to appear to be in charge. They will never, ever admit there's a situation they can't control. I can agree with that. But where is the disclosure in all this? You've covered some fictional radio broadcasts and the military recanning on the Roswell UFO declaration and its refusal to concede, publicly at least, that the spook rockets were of extraterrestrial origin. 
where's that declaration stating, yes, extraterrestrials exist, and yes, they have visited our Earth? Well, when we talk about disclosure, we kind of need to discuss what it is they would be disclosing. They'd be disclosing the fact that they've been hiding the truth from us all along, right? Well, yeah, ultimately, but, but how do you think that would happen? Uh, that I don't know. I guess in my head, I always pictured a huge televised conference, and I guess it would be all the people in the United Nations standing there and saying, hey, aliens are real, you know? Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I think it would look a lot like what we've seen happening over the last few years. I think they would ration the information out slowly over time, spoon-feeding us just those facts they've decided we're ready for, giving us a chance to digest them, and then giving you another helping, hoping to avoid the panics that they've seemed to think would be inevitable. Panic schmanic. Do you think anyone would really panic? No, I don't, but I think how people have reacted in the past to this sort of information, coming from what they believe to be a credible source, indicates that a mass panic could happen. At least that's what I think the government's trying to manage. Personally, I just don't see it. I think all of our technological wonders have given the average Joe a bit more sophistication than the average 1930s or 1940s schmuck. We've seen the creation and the use of nuclear weapons. We've seen manned spaceflight. We've walked on the moon. And yeah, I said it. We fucking walked up there, and we've sent unmanned probes to other planets. Hell, space travel has become so commonplace now that it's moved from the governmental to a commercial arena. And when the alien spaceships do finally land, the only thing everyone's going to be concerned about is how their technology will improve our cell phones. Yeah, but remember what we discussed earlier? In our earlier podcast about the UFOs, credible news sources, the New York Times in particular, have reported that the Navy admits that the footage of the Tic Tacs is real. See, now that's what I'm jonesing for, brother, an admission of reality, but one that provides more detail. Yeah, I'm right there with you. But remember, though, we noted at that time that this was not front page news. It was buried on page seven. The first reports were in December of 2017, and again in May of 2019. No panics have ensued related to this information. Actually, as far as I can tell, people have ignored it. Well, see, just like I said, no panic. Seems like today we're inured to the prospect of an ET visit. Yeah, well, on July 23rd of 2020, the New York Times ran another story with the headline, quote, No Longer in Shadows. Pentagon's UFO unit will make some findings public. This sounds encouraging, right? It sure does. This is the article you sent to me last week, right? Man, now you're filling my ears with those words I've been longing to hear. Keep talking, sweet prince, while I swoon. Yeah, swoon away. The biggest nugget in this article, though, to me, is that a guy named Eric W. Davis an astrophysicist who works as a subcontractor and a consultant for the Pentagon UFO programs, and now works for a company named Aerospace Corporation. Who thought of that name? That's, that's crappy. 
has said that they have recovered materials that are from, quote, off-world vehicles not made on this earth. And he states that he has presented this information to the Senate Armed Services Committee on October 21st of 2019, and again to staff members of the Senate Intelligence Committee two days later. Now think this through. Contractors giving presentations to Congress live and die based on their reputation. He's now on record as saying that these craft are not made on Earth. So you're saying he wouldn't have made such outrageous claims unless he could back it up with facts or was certain that he was addressing a like-minded audience. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is disclosure. I think we're in the middle of it. But that leads me to my next question in my mind, right, is what has forced this change in policy? Remember, if it's working for you, don't fix it. I don't know of any reason for them to suddenly grow a conscience or need to change their tune. Maybe the UAPs have changed their non-aggressive tactics and are now posing what's viewed as a credible threat. Or maybe we found their copy of How to Serve Man. <laughs> Wouldn't that suck the big one? Yeah, it would. But it will be interesting to see if any more of these stories leak out. We'll have to keep a lookout for future updates. Man, I hope, along with a gajillion others, I'm sure, that this is correct. The disclosure part, I mean, and not the how to serve man part. So, so I guess, in addition to keeping one eye on the heavens, we'll have to keep the other eye on the web or the few newspapers left in existence. And we'll have to dig past the front page news to the deeper pages if we don't want disclosure to slip past us. What Do You Think About is co-written by John Gordos and Jim Dumermuth. Our theme music is provided by podsummit.com. Thanks to Hunter Dumermuth for production assistance. And, as always, thanks to you, our listeners. Please take the time to rate our podcast on your favorite listening platform. Drop us a line at wdouta at gmail.com or visit our Facebook page, anchor.fm slash wdouta for updates on releases. Copyright 2020 by John Gordos and Jim Dumermuth. Lesser-known follow-up to this is what happened in Quito, Ecuador. <laughs> Jesus. A lesser-known follow-up to this is what happened in Quito, Ecuador. Ecuador. A lesser-known follow-up. Jesus. A lesser-known follow-up to this is what happened in Quito, Ecuador. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> a less Ecuador, 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 Ecuador. Here we go. Ecuador. <clears throat> <laughs> 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 <laughs>
<coughs> a lesser known follow up to this is what happened in Keto X. Oh, Jesus, fuck. <laughs> oh, my God. <coughs> A lesser-known follow-up to this is what happened in Quito, Ecuador in February of 1949. 